0: Tonight's reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 17. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says... My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral, or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what
1: he had done. Thank you, Nicola, ever so much. Um, it'll be really um, helpful for you, I think, if you keep um, those verses in front of you so that we, as we make our way through them, um, you can follow um, where we're going. We need the Lord's help, don't we? Um, let's pray um, and ask him for it. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for sunny weather, but we're aware that the evil one would love to use this heat as a way to distract us. And so we pray, our Heavenly Father, that by your mercy you would work powerfully amongst us this evening. Please would your Spirit take your written words and apply it to our lives. Help us to be humble and help us to be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do we keep going as Christians when facing Opposition. The original recipients of this letter had faced much adversity for following Christ. Back in chapter 10, we read these words Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. At this point in history, the Jews, well, they were well-respected by society. And so to come out of Judaism and into Christianity like these believers had done so, well, that was bad news for you. I mean, it led to you facing a hard time. And so as verse 3 of our passage puts it this evening, do look down, there's the potential of them growing weary and losing heart. Or or later on, as verse 12 puts it, they have feeble arms and weak knees. You'll know that much of the language from Hebrews borrows imagery and makes us think of the athlete in the long-distance running race. As we read last week, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, tonight, the image is of the struggling and exhausted runner, You might remember um, a few years back, those pictures from that triathlon in Mexico. Johnny Brownlee, the British athlete, leading the way. And yet as he turns the corner into the final straight, he's wobbling all over the place. Limbs everywhere. He's exhausted and about to collapse. That's the image of the Christian life for these believers struggling to keep going. Why? Well, because of opposition. Now, compared to many Christians throughout history and many Christians across the world today, we've got a relatively easy time, don't we, when it comes to opposition, and yet it's still not easy for us. And maybe you can identify with the words in this chapter, and perhaps you're weary from the constant comments from your friends, from your teachers, from your family, from your colleagues, because you follow Jesus. Or perhaps you're, you're losing heart as we see society push to accept everything and everyone, but not those who want to remain faithful to Christ. Perhaps you have feeble arms and weak knees, spiritually speaking, as your invitations for next weekend are, are met with rejection and mockery. And the very temptation that we face as we're treated differently, as we're marginalised and pushed to the side, is to leave the track. Or at least to go quiet, to grow lazy, to enjoy the immediate pleasures of sin rather than motoring on towards the inheritance out of fear for what we might face. The good news is that the aim of this passage this evening is that we might be strengthened, verse 12. strengthen, Strengthened so that we might keep going as Christians when facing opposition. But more than that, more than just surviving through the opposition striving. Verse 14, do you notice that? Make every effort. Strive unto holiness. Strengthen and strive. That's the aim. That's where we're going to come back to. But how do we do that? And how do we be strengthened? How do we strive unto holiness when facing opposition? Well, verses 3 to 11 give us two things to consider. Two things to consider for us this evening. Now, at this point, it's worth me saying that even if we're not facing opposition right now, this passage is still essential for all of us to face. Why? Well, well, firstly, we may know of Christians who are facing a tough time for following Christ. How do we keep going as Christians through opposition may not be a question that is on our minds right now. But it may be a question that a Christian brother or sister is asking. A question that a dear brother or sister is asking whom you could encourage. Remember, Hebrews is a corporate letter, isn't it? Not written to individual Christians. It's not me and, and my Christian race over here and you and your Christian race over there. It's us running together. And we might need to listen to these verses this evening about opposition for the benefit of other believers. And But secondly, I take it that all of us will at some point go through suffering for following Christ. In fact, the passage tells us that true believers will do so. And so we need to listen. The reality is that it's much harder to think about what the Bible says about suffering when in the suffering. And so we need to get our thinking right before the suffering. We need to get our thinking right now. So how do we keep going as Christians? How do we keep going as Christians when facing opposition? Well, as I say, two things to consider. Here's the first, verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured opposition. Consider him who endured opposition. When we're going through a tough time for following Christ, we we may think, no one knows. I'm all alone, and no one has a clue as to what I am going through. That's not quite true, is it? Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. The author wants us to lift our eyes from our situation and to look to Christ. He is the one who knows what it's like to suffer opposition. He is the one who knows what it's like to go through the most unjust opposition. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Yes, these guys have gone through a very tough time. They've been publicly insulted. They've been put in prison. They've lost their possessions. But Christ, well, he faced that and a lot more. His endurance in hostility, well, it took him to the point of shedding his blood. He went to the cross for you and for me. Whatever we may go through in this life for following Christ, we need to remember that the one we follow has gone through it first. And we need to remember that the one we follow has gone through greater suffering. Mockery, teasing, a loss of friendships labelled as extremists, difficult things for us. But nothing in comparison to the shameful crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. When going through hardships, consider him. Think about him. Bring to mind the opposition that he went through. Contemplate and weigh up the endurance that Jesus Christ went through. That'll help us to not grow weary. Consider him. Consider him who endured opposition. That's the first thing. And But more than that, we need to see more. Because in order to make sure that we endure oppositions, we need to make sure that we think about hardship and opposition In the correct way. We need to secondly consider hardships as discipline. Verses 5 to 11. Consider hardships as discipline. Now before we go into this section. I think it's worth um, me saying a a couple of things if I may. Firstly we're not addressing everything that the Bible says about suffering this evening. And we're simply going to try and see what God says to us in, in Hebrews 12. And secondly, whilst some of what we will see in Hebrews 12 overlaps with more general suffering, for example, illness, and we need to remember that when the author talks about hardships in Hebrews 12, his primary focus is on persecution, opposition for following Christ. Um, And thirdly, there might be some things in these verses that are hard for us, um, especially if we're facing a time of opposition, Again, that's why it's especially important that we listen if we're not facing opposition. But if we are suffering, then let me just remind you gently, the aim of these verses is that we might be strengthened. Strengthened so that we might then strive on. And so with these few things in mind, do follow along as we pick up at verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. How are we to think about hardships for following Christ? How are we to think about persecution? Well, I take it from that little phrase in verse 7, that we're meant to think about hardships as a form of discipline. Do you see that? Endure hardships as discipline. Hardships are a form of training. Training. Just look down to the end of verse 11. You'll see that little phrase there. Those who have been trained by it. That word trained in the original is where we get our words gymnasium from. This evening we're thinking about the gym. We're thinking about hardships. We're thinking about training. We're to consider hardships as discipline. That's the big picture. Now let's dive in. And I want us to see three things about this discipline, and so therefore three things that are also true of hardships. And the first is that discipline is from the Lord. Discipline comes from the Lord. Do you notice it in the Hebrews, in, sorry, in the proverb, that quotation there in verse 5 and 6? Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Verse 6, the Lord's disciplines. If we need it again, in the, in the Hebrews passage, it's there in verse 10. God disciplines. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It is the Lord who disciplines. God is in the business of disciplining and training us. And I take it, therefore, that if discipline comes from the Lord, and if the way that the Lord disciplines is through hardships, if we're to consider hardships as discipline, then do you see where we're going? We put two and two together. Hardships and persecution are given to us by the Lord. Don't mishear me, please. God is in no way morally responsible for the evil done to Christians. His holiness and and perfection aren't compromised in any way. But at the same time, hardships don't come to us outside of God's control. Instead, in his wisdom and sovereignty, the Lord gives us, the Lord gives Christians opposition and hardships. When our friends mock us, when we get overlooked for promotion, when people speak about us harshly online, when colleagues wind us up, all because we're a Christian, those people, morally responsible. But behind it is a God who gives that to us as a form of discipline, as a form of training. Consider hardships as discipline. It is from the Lord. Second thing to see about this discipline is that it is for his children. Who does the Lord discipline? Who does the Lord give hardships to? Well, verse 6, look back at it, please. It is the one he loves. The one he accepts as his son. Divine discipline and sonship go hand in hand. And if we need further, I'm convincing that this is true. We'll think back to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 8. Do you remember it? Son though he was, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. It's true of Jesus, given hardships in order to train. If we're facing suffering for being a Christian, that's not a sign that God doesn't love us. In fact, it's a sign that God does love us. It's a sign that God is treating us as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. And we could say that discipline, hardships, well, that's the proof of status, isn't it? It's the proof that you are God's child, the legal heirs of the inheritance to come. Hardships and opposition for following Christ are the proof that we belong to the Son who suffered, the proof of fatherly care. In fact, as verse 8 says, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. It's quite a striking verse, isn't it? Not saying that we are always going to suffer, and then if we're ever going through a time of not suffering, that we're not a Christian, but the indication seems to be that if we never face opposition... Or hardship? If we never face that at any point in our lives, well, then are we true Christians? This passage says no. Consider hardships as discipline, they are from the Lord and for his children. But why? It's the big question, isn't it? Why? What's the point? Well, the good news is there is an answer for us. Hardships are not meaningless. They are not purposeless. They are not without design. They are given to us for our holiness. That's the third thing to see about discipline, for our holiness. Verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now for some of us, these verses about discipline and our human fathers may cause great pain. Some of us may have had parents who neglected discipline. Others may have had parents who were inappropriate in discipline. What the author has in mind here is the kind of discipline that, is, that we respect, that we're thankful for. And the kind of discipline that trains us and guides us. But even the best human discipline from the best human father wouldn't have been perfect. Our human fathers disciplined us as they thought best. Sometimes that might have been of benefit, other times it might not have been. But look again, our heavenly father, notice the comparison, human father, heavenly father. Our heavenly father disciplines us for our good. And that good is that we may share in his holiness, that we might become more godly. Discipline is the proof of status, but it also has the purpose The purpose of making us more like God. Like the carpenter who takes the block of wood and chisels away at it in order to form the image that he wants to. Well, likewise, God takes the events of all of our lives out of love and gives them to us to chisel away sin in order to form us in the image of his son. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The irony, therefore, is that as an enemy, as an enemy opposes the believer in order to destroy the faith, well, God takes that opposition and uses it to grow us in godliness. Now, of course, we may not see the value in the present. In fact, the author is very real. Did you notice that in the present it is not going to be pleasant? It is going to be painful. I, I looked at some of the training schedules that Olympic athletes have, it is nuts, incredibly painful. And yet I take it that the medal at the end is worth it. Discipline and training from the Lord are not pleasant in the present. The author doesn't try and lie to us. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When going through suffering, we're not necessarily going to understand the value of it. We're not necessarily going to understand how God is using this to grow us, to be like him. And so our job is to believe. Believe the promise that God is using this for us, for our good. Trust. Trust that one day we'll be able to look back and see how God has used that to grow us in our patience, in our love for others. In our security being in heaven rather than on earth. Consider hardships as discipline from the Lord, for his children. For our holiness. This might challenge our our thinking a little bit. A couple of ways it, it might do so. See we're tempted to think. When we look out in the world and we see persecution. What do we think? We think God has lost control. No. These verses say that God gives hardships in his sovereignty. We're tempted to think that the Lord shows us his love and care. By making it everything easy for us. No. The Lord shows us his love and care by giving us hardships. We're tempted to think that opposition and the hardship are bad for us. I wonder if this passage challenges that. Should we see them as something that are good for us, if I can put it like that? Not as something to be evaded, but as something to be embraced, maybe? Maybe not that we're just going to go and deliberately wind people up just to face a hard time, that's not what I mean, but as something that we should face with willingness and and acceptance rather than resentment and bitterness. What do you reckon? I'm sure we'll be able to come up with other ways these verses challenge our thinking. Why not do so after church? But do remember that the shift in our thinking, as as uh, as important as it is, the shift in our thinking is not the end goal. The end goal, strengthen and strive. That's our third and final point, strengthen and strive. Verse 12, therefore, because of everything that we've just seen in verses 3 to 11, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. See, as we get our thinking right, as we consider him who endured opposition, as we remember that opposition is not a sign that God has lost control, as you remember that opposition is proof of our status and that it has a purpose, well, that is going to strengthen us. It's going to enable us to make level paths for our feet to run on, not paths that go up and down, not paths that go left and right, but a level and straight road so we can keep going forward to glory. And I wonder if you notice the corporate language here. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Why? Well, not just so that you keep going, do you notice, but so that the lame, presumably Christians who are struggling more than us, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It's quite striking, isn't it? You be strengthened as an individual Christian. Why? Well, because that's going to have a massive impact on another struggling Christian. The rippling of effect of you being strengthened is that another Christian is going to keep going. And I guess we know this from experience, don't we? Aren't we just so inspired when we hear of Christians around the world keeping going, even under persecution? Their strengthening strengthens us. Our strengthening strengthens them. I think it begs the question, doesn't it? Whether you're struggling in the Christian race or not, do you have Christians running alongside you? Christians who know and who really know how you're doing. If you've struggled in the past, but in God's grace have kept going, is there someone in our church family whom you could get alongside with right now? And you could say, come on, let's run together. I've been strengthened, and so I'm going to help you. Strengthen and also strive. Verse 14, make every effort. Strive, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Do you remember the purpose of discipline? Holiness. And if if that is what God is doing in hardships, if that is what God is doing through all of the events of our life, then that should be our aim too. Since God in his sovereign plan is pursuing our holiness and righteousness, we'll therefore work with him and not against him. Row downstream and not upstream. Pursue peace and holiness. Because that is what God is doing. And again, it's, it's so striking that this is a corporate thing. This see-to-it phrase that comes up is the same word that elsewhere gets translated exercise oversight. All of us are to have oversight. All of us are to watch out for one another. We're to have a shared energetic zeal for fighting sin. We're to care about how other Christians are doing. In the battle for godliness. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. The bitter root. You have to flip back to Deuteronomy 29 a little later on. In the context there, you'll see that it's speaking about a person who presumes they will be okay even when they persist in going against God. See to it, the author says, make sure that no one in your church is presumptuous in thinking they're okay when they're not living a godly lifestyle. This presumption is a root. It's secretive. It starts underground. No one knows about it. But then it springs up like roots do. And not only that, but it spreads. Do you notice that? It can defile many. Again, corporates, not individualism. One person's presumption about how they are okay when they're not. Well, that could do damage to a whole church. See to it. What about Esau? Well, Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac. And so, of course, he was in line to receive the blessings of God's promise. And yet, what did he do? He sold them. He sold them to Jacob in exchange for a meal. Can you imagine? The promises of God for a meal. I mean, how short-sighted can you get wanting stew? I mean, is stew even that nice? I don't really like it. Stew in exchange for the promises of God. Crazy to think about. And yet this warning is for us. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Ahead of us, what do we have? Well, we have future salvation. So make sure that no one gives that up for present satisfaction. What do we have ahead of us? Well, ahead of us we have eternal glory. Make sure that no one gives that up for temporary gratification. Just like it was nuts for Esau to give up the future promises of God for one meal. It would be very foolish for us, wouldn't it? To give up those future promises of God for something that is um, immediate and, and that is, is gratifying in the present, but then disappears. The warning is that after we do so, we could be so caught up in sin that we won't be able to repent and so receive the blessing. Again, I think it begs the question with the, the corporate nature of these commands. Do you have Christians around you seeing to it, making sure that you're fighting sin, that you're striving for holiness? And do you know how other Christians around you are doing in their battles with sin? Are we challenging one another to make every effort? Are we praying for one another in, their, in this area? strengthen and strive it's difficult to do that isn't it they as we face opposition as we face persecution as we face marginalization the thing that we want to do is not be strengthened we want to sort of feel weak and the thing that we don't want to do well we definitely don't want to strive we want to grow lazy and to go back to the side of the track, and to stop running. So how do we do it? How do we keep striving? Sorry, how do we um, be strengthened when hardships leave us weak? How do we keep striving for holiness when facing a hard time? How do we keep going in the face of opposition? Well, we do it together. We do it together as we consider him who endured opposition. Think about Jesus. Remind one another of him. And we do it together together as we think rightly about opposition, as we consider hardships as discipline from the Lord, for his children, and for our holiness. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you don't call us to go where the Lord Jesus hasn't already gone, the one who has faced much more opposition than we will ever face. Help us to think about him, we pray. And we pray, Father, that you would make us soft and humble so that the truths about hardships um, would go into our minds, but more than that, would then penetrate our hearts so that we as a church family and as Christians might be strengthened this week to keep going when we face opposition. And so that we may strive on for holiness. Help us to um, see that we need to do this together. And and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.